you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, we're going to be starting a new series today. Um, someone challenged me a while back and said, have you ever done an in-depth study on the life of Lot? And I thought, no, but I rather like the sound of the challenge. And so I'm going to respond to that challenge over the next few months and we're going to look at the life of Lot. Now, I know that Lot is a controversial figure. When you read about him in the Old Testament, you probably feel, ah, you know, he's not someone I'd really want to hear a sermon series about. But when you get into the New Testament, there is this amazing statement in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, where it talks about righteous Lot. And you might look at that and think, well, I'd never ever have expected him to get that accolade in the New Testament. So there we have it, that in the Word of God, he is called righteous Lot. And so the New Testament urges us, really, to take a fresh look at Lot. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a fresh look at Lot, and I want to call the whole series Great Grace, because I think if we're going to learn anything from this series, we're going to learn about the grace of God and how the grace of God can work in our lives, no matter what is being thrown at us. And just so that you've got the outline of where we'll be going, I know you've got your Bibles open at Genesis 11, but just let me give you the outline of the whole series. I think there were certain things that Lot had to overcome in his life. I think the first one was that there was very obviously in his life a drift towards dependence. And that's what I want to talk about today. How it was as if he was becoming increasingly dependent until God got hold of him and shook him up a little bit. So one of the things he had to overcome was that increasing drift towards dependence. Second thing I think he had to overcome was that I would have said he was a a man who suffered from shallow discernment. And there are real pitfalls from shallow discernment. So maybe already you're thinking, well, I could identify with this a little bit. I I can see a drift towards dependence or I can see areas of shallow discernment in my life. So I think we're going to learn from him. The third thing I want to pick up on is that he was living at a time where um, he needed to be active, but so often he was passive. And we need to learn that lesson today. You know, should we protest or should we just let it all happen around us? big issues really and he had to overcome the problem of passivity in his own life. I think he was someone who was the ultimate non-confrontational person, just let it all happen around him if he could and the problem of passivity is something he had to overcome. Uh, The fourth thing he had to overcome was the pressure of iniquity. He went and lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and there was so much iniquity around him, he had to overcome the pressure of iniquity. So we're getting some points here that ring little bells for us? Okay, we can learn from this, can't we? The drift towards dependence. We can see that the pitfalls of shallow discernment, the problem of passivity, the pressure of iniquity. Something else that he was good at was delaying things. And I want to talk about the danger of delay later on in this series. And the final thing I want to cover uh, is the legacy of isolation. Um, You know, we've talked, it's, it's crazy, he starts off dependent and he ends up isolated. And there are dangers in isolation, just as there are dangers in over-dependence. So we're going to see that whole range of things and look at those various things that Lot had to overcome. But today, we're going to introduce him, really, and we're going to pick up on this whole theme of the drift towards dependence, how to overcome that, how to address that in our lives. Sometimes it's right to be dependent, at other times we need to stand free from a wrong kind of dependency. And in some ways, I guess that dependence and passivity 
we're, we're at the root of Lot's problems. Um, and we'll let the dependent set the scene today so we can learn lessons from it. So let's read the passage and then I'll uh, give you the framework of where we're going to go with this message and we'll get down to the study of it. Let's read from verse 27 of Genesis 11. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abraham, Nahor and Haran and Haran begat, begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lod his brother's son and all their possessions that they'd gathered and the people whom they'd acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. That's the introduction. Now, you are getting an insight into a family and Lot is someone whose dependence, which is what we're going to look at today, uh, derives from his family circumstances to some extent. And just so that you know where I'm going in this message, I want to talk about three areas of dependence. I know there are more types of dependence than that. But the three I want to look at is this, the dependence that comes from deprivation. If you suffer loss in your life, it can push you, probably rightly, towards a greater level of dependence. So as I said at the beginning, dependence isn't all negative. But we need to see the dependence that comes through deprivation. And that's evident in Lot's life. Then there's a second kind of dependence, which isn't healthy at all, which is the dependence that comes from domination, where someone is very dominant, and that plays a part in making other people dependent. That's always unhelpful, when you're coming under other people's control in that kind of way. And I think there's some evidence of that in this family here. And I want to look at the dependence that comes through domination. And it can happen in churches. Some pastors treat their flock in a way that produces a dependence as a result of their domination. And I know I might be uh, uh, in, in dangerous waters here, but I'm quite happy to put this message out because I feel that where there is a domination that leads to a dependence, it's something that has to be dealt with. And if you're listening to that and you're in a church where you, know, you're, you, you need to see things adjusted, well, pray for God's wisdom that this message might help you 
and you might see a way through. But it's not only in church life. In all sorts of areas of life, people come under control. And that kind of control needs to be dealt with. It needs to be understood and need to find ways through it. And the third area of dependence that I want to look at in this message is the dependence that comes from demotivation. You know where someone's really apathetic and they're just drifting along, dependent on everyone else because they can't be motivated to live any differently. And I think Lot got into that as well. So can you see there's a sort of drift towards dependence I'm talking about? A dependence that comes from deprivation, and then a dependence that comes from domination, and a dependence that comes from demotivation. Some of the dependence can be right, but some of the dependence can be wrong. God's not calling us to be isolationist. But at the same time, God wants us to understand how dependence can be a a negative thing if it actually stops us fulfilling our destiny in God. We have to fulfill our destiny in God. God wanted Lot to fulfill his destiny. And the drift towards dependence was something that could have robbed him of his destiny. So overcoming the drift towards dependence is just so important uh, if we're really going to see our destiny fulfilled in the Lord. So let's look at two verses in particular as we look at dependence through deprivation. And that's verses 27 and 28 of Genesis 11. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abraham, Nahor and Haran. Haran begot Lot and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Just a couple of verses, but there are things that we can see in it. Uh, One little thing you might like to see is that the word's actually genealogy and not genealogy, although just about everyone I hear when they read the Bible says genealogy. It's good to sort out your allergies from your ologies. So this one's genealogy, all right? And when it's talking about genealogy, it's talking about the background and the history. So when you get a genealogy, you end up with lots of begots, you know, the ones that gave birth to the ones that gave birth. And don't ignore the genealogies in the Bible because there's a lot you can learn from them if you're prepared to take the time and the trouble. This is a very short genealogy, so don't worry about it. The genealogy of Terah is this. He begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, trying to work out how old Lot might have been when his father died is incredibly difficult. It's impossible because we've got some figures missing. We know that Terah died at 250 years old. We would also think that from the way it's written that his sons were Abraham, Nahor and Haran, that Abraham was almost certainly his oldest son. But when Abraham left Haran after Terah had died, Abraham was only 75 years of age and his father was 250. So his dad obviously got around to having the children rather late. Now, I'm not going to give a long explanation at this point about the ages in the Old Testament because... Longevity in the Old Testament is uh, quite a challenge to sort out. But it does mean that uh, there's a a huge amount of time that we're looking at here. But if Abraham is the oldest son, Abraham's the oldest son, and then there was Nahor, and then there was Haran, then obviously on that basis, Haran was younger than Abraham, and so he would have been less than 75 had he lived to that period. So he was probably, how long did they spend in Ur of the Chaldees? 
Well, I don't know. We're not told that either. But I get the impression it was a long time. It was a long time. Long enough to rename the city Haran, because I'm sure it wasn't called Haran. You don't have that kind of coincidence, do you? You sort of tell me, my goodness, this place is named after my son. Um, it was more likely that they named it Haran when they, they dwelt there, in memory of the, the lost son. And I think they were there a while. Um, and, and so, I mean, what, you know, 20, 30 years? I don't know. But what all of this adds up to is it's a very real possibility that even if, if Lot was 45, say, when Terah died, that would still have possibly left him in his teens when his father died back in Ur of the Chaldeans. So we're looking at a situation where this young man's life starts off with deprivation at a very crucial stage. And I just want to talk about that because I've seen so many situations where deprivation occurs when young men are in their teens And all kinds of problems can result from it. Now, they don't have to result from it, but it's just good to be aware of the situations that can occur. It doesn't actually have to be that the father dies. Sometimes there can be tensions that come up. I spent a lot of time when I was doing student ministry counselling young men, young Christian men, who were struggling with questions of their own identity with regard to sexuality. Um, because it had been sort of suggested to them they might be gay, they were asking all kinds of questions. And, and very often when I spent time with these people that were struggling with those identity issues, they say, my dad died when I was 12. My dad died when I was 13. Dad died when I was in my early teens. Or, you know, I had a traumatic experience at that particular point. Now, sometimes it was an abuse situation. But sometimes it was a deprivation situation. Now, I know that when people go through times like that, the normal bonding arrangements can go haywire for a season. Now, that's one of my concerns these days when we try and label people young. You know, they try and say to people, oh, this will help you. Just, just come out of the closet and declare that you are gay or something like that. Well, for some people, they are just working through a trauma in their life. And to be told they've got to label themselves as a result of external circumstances is something that concerns me. You know, I don't want to get into a big debate on this, but I just do believe that we've got to be much more wary about tying labels on people or putting pressure on people to tie labels on themselves. Um, Allow people time to sort their lives out and and work out their identity without saying, for example, that it must be nature and it isn't nurture. Sometimes things are nurture. I'm I'm not trying to speak out against anyone here. I'm just saying, church, look, let's give people space. Let's let's redevelop a pastoral dimension. I get weary of people placarding against homosexuality in a way that would make every person who's going through some crisis of identity run a mile from the church. Because over the years, I've found so many people I've counseled who were going through a crisis of identity have turned out really strong in the Lord and have come through into a real place in Him of security. And we don't need to be hounding people out at a time when we should be loving people in. And I am concerned, you know, that just in a situation where there's deprivation, there can be all kinds of things happening in someone's life at that moment. They're they're thinking, who can I bond with? Who can help me? And at that moment, it's like, you know, you're looking for someone to bond with. And you might not choose the right person. You might not even choose the right sex. But, you know, God can work these things through in people's lives. But we need to realize that deprivation can produce a dependence. 
Now, that can be healthy because no one needs to go through a crisis on their own. You know, it's not enough just to tap someone on the shoulder and say, well, God comforts those who are mourning. You know, you've got to be there to comfort those who are mourning as well. You've got to know how to do this. Now, praise God for the extended family that gathered round. You can see it, can't you? They took Lot with them. They didn't sort of say, oh, well, young man, sort yourself out. You can carry on living there. There was a real sense of extended family. It mentions that he had two sisters. Uh, This is one of the challenges of this crazy family we have here, that um, one of Lot's sisters married Lot's uncle. Okay, you can see that in uh, verse 29. Then Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah, and also the father of Lot. So Lot had two sisters, Milcah, who ended up marrying her uncle after her father had died. I mean, that might have just been something that she was working through as well. You know, when you get a time of loss, you're looking for relationship. Marrying your uncle might be something that seems to be... In fact, some people traditionally say that Iskar was really Sarai and that it was both sisters that ended up marrying both uncles. But I think you've got to weigh that, although it's quite a strong tradition in Jewish circles and Josephus says that that's the case. I would question it because, uh, as you know, in um, Genesis 20, verse 12, Abraham says, actually, she's my half-sister. Okay, so so one brother married his niece and the other brother married his half-sister. We could get into right difficulties in these sort of things today, couldn't we? But this family was going through all kinds of issues. You know, they never expected Harun to die as a young man. The three children were left in confusion. One marries the uncle. We don't know about Iska. Lot, well, he's a young man. How's he going to sort his life out? Well, the family sort of take him along. And he becomes the one who's taken along. Now, sometimes you go through a trauma like that, it breeds a fierce independence in you. I don't want to relate to anybody. Go away. Just get off my life, all right? If I'm going to sort it out, I'm going to do it myself. You know, and some people go through that kind of phase. Just, just let me do it, you know, off my back. But then other people who've got a different personality respond differently. We've got to work through these kind of issues when we go through challenges like this in our lives. Uh, you've got to get the balance right between the isolationism that pushes people away and uh, the over-dependence that draws everyone around you to the point where you become a burden. The Bible is amazing on this. You know, there's a passage in Galatians where alongside each other, almost next to each other, it says that everyone should bear his own burdens and we should bear one another's burdens. Why does it put those two things together? It's because both are true. There is a degree of independence that we should have, but there's also a degree of interdependence that we need. And we're constantly in our walk with God saying, Lord, I want to get this right. You know, I have needs in my life. I know that they're going to be met in the context of other people loving me and encouraging me. But at the same time, I don't want to reach that point where I lose my destiny and my individuality and just become carried along by everyone else because I've forgotten how to walk myself. So these are the challenges that we're seeing here. And I think you can see them very clearly in this situation. I don't know. I I can't say more more than, than is written down on the page. But I can tell you this much. Leave Lot aside for the moment. Just talk about pastoral situations that I've seen, particularly when I was doing university campus work. So many times the issues were 
people going through an identity crisis and that identity crisis would put them in an environment which was not a helpful environment but in their mind they thought, well, maybe this is where I ought to be. I don't know. I don't think it's true of Lot. But I know lots of people who've gone for an identity crisis who've ended up in the gay bars because they thought, well, maybe this will help me sort out my identity. I don't know why Lot went to live in Sodom. Don't read too much into the passage. But, you know, there can be all kinds of traumas that you experience in early life which affect your decisions in later life. And we just need to come back again and again and maybe come back to the Lord for healing. Maybe some of you who went through traumas in your teens have never come to God and say, Lord, just heal me up from some of these wounds. Just heal me up from some of the stuff I carry around. Because it could be the things that we went through in the past are actually making us the people that we are today and affecting our decisions. The number of people just in a counselling situation that I know who were sexually abused in their teens or younger, it's enormous. It's enormous. And, uh, you know, if you've been through that situation, don't go around feeling that you're the one who was at fault. There's healing that God wants to bring into your life. And if you're finding that you're struggling with your identity, you know, there are so many reference points that we need at different times in our lives. And, you know, you, you can be crying out for those reference points. I think of people that we've, we've had in our midst who have been crying out for reference points, sometimes forming over-dependent relationships. And we're looking and thinking, now hold on a minute. This should be telling us that there's something to sort out under the surface. If people are forming over-dependent relationships, it's often because there's a level of deprivation that's not been met in their lives. So I just want us to get pastoral <laughs> And say, Lord, I believe you can heal. You know, I believe you can be a father to the fatherless. I believe you can be a friend to the friendless. I believe you can be hope to the hopeless. No matter what deprivation we've gone through, no matter how crazy mixed up your family is, you might have ended up through some weird circumstance, you know, <laughs> involved in a family where you don't even know your brothers and sisters are. I mean, I know a family where they grew up, and this was on a council estate in the south of England, where the people living in the household did not know whether the other children in the household were their brothers and sisters, their uncles or their aunts, or their nephews or their nieces. Because the family had just been living together in that situation and there had been so much intermarrying and everything else. It was a confusion. I don't know what background you come from. But I know this much, that God can make up for any lack. But we've got to be honest with him. You know, don't go through life saying, I've sorted it out myself, you know. Because God actually wants you to relate to people. I'm just trying to help you here. I'm saying, don't end up over-dependent. But at the same time, don't end up so independent. And it's working through these issues. And God is saying, look, there is a place where we need to depend upon one another. Don't hide your needs. It's, the, uh, it's being honest about our needs that actually brings us together in community. If we've all got no needs, you know, I have no need of you, we are actually falling into the error that Paul preaches about in 1 Corinthians when he says there are some people who say, I have no need of you. Well, that's wrong. We need one another. That's why God's put us in a family. And we need a good family. And if your own natural family is not as good as it should be, well, let the Lord bless you in the family of his church and then you can go back into your own family and see God redeem your family. I don't believe God writes families off. 
Once you got saved, God was writing your family in, not writing your family off. But you don't have to say that I am the product only of my background. You're also meant to be the product of God's grace. And no matter what you've been through, God can turn it around. And this is the great story of Lot. You know, Lot, in a sense, for all of his failings, you know, he was overcoming some things. Overcoming deprivation that could have left him drifting towards dependence. Now, I want to bring something else in here. I know some people love play on words and, you know, they talk about uh, terror as if he was the terror of the family and respell it T-E-R-R-O-R. But I wouldn't go as far as saying that. But I do notice here that there was a problem in this family because God had spoken to Abraham. And I want you to notice what it says in the first verse of chapter 12. It said, the Lord had said to Abraham. Now, notice the past tense. God had spoken to him some time back and said to him, you are to leave your family. You are to come out from that family and you, Abraham, are to go to Canaan and there I will bless you. Now, I have a very strong suspicion that when he said that, when God said that to Abraham, Abraham then went and said it to the family. You know, I just want to tell you, God's told me I've got to leave you all. And I've got to go to Canaan and, uh, you know, and then when I get to Canaan, God is going to bless me. And you know the way some of us do, you know, we, we get a word from God and we've, we've shared it before we've even thought it. And we've not prayed it into our lives and, you know, we've dissipated it rather than actually activated it. Uh, And that's a sad thing when that happens. And I've just got a suspicion that that's what Abraham did. God spoke to him and said, Abraham, I'm calling you out from your family, from your father's house. How specific is that? To a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I think he must have said something to his dad. Because it says... In verse 31 of the preceding chapter, And Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Now why were they all going when the call was to Abraham to come out from his family? Now, this is speculation and it's assumption, but, you know, I've been around a little bit, so I know these things happen, okay? I might be reading into this story, but I'm telling you true stories from other situations. You know, when you go to the family and say, I'm leaving, dad might say, I've lost one son already. Hmm? And if you're going, we're all coming too. But there was no call on Terah's life. There was no urgency in his spirit. So although they all set off to Canaan, you know, just about everyone who's left now in this family is meant to be on pilgrimage to Canaan to fulfill Abraham's word from God. Isn't that helpful, you know? The only bit that they left out was that he was meant to leave his family. So they all decide they're going to go together to the land of Canaan. And they head off, presuming this is the land that God has shown to Abraham. But because there's no commitment, they don't get very far. 
You know what happens. If you're called, you go. But if someone else is trying to live off your calling, they're never going to get very far. Because that's not their destiny. If you're trying to fulfill someone else's destiny, you won't make it. And what happened? Well, they got a little way from Ur of the Chaldees and they settled in another town and I believe they called it Haran. We're going to settle down here. We're family. We've lost one son. Let's name the city after him. We're going to be the people of Haran and we're going to live here. We're going to be here. And I don't know how many years they were there, but I get a feeling they'd sort of settled down in that place. And I can tell you this much, there was no way they were going to move until Terah died. (laughs) Someone who was preaching this from a very spiritual point of view once said, there is nothing that you can do until you've experienced the death of the old man. Now, now they were trying to talk about it from a spiritual principle that we're meant to be living the new man of Christ and to put off the old nature. And they said, you're not going to get very far fulfilling your destiny until you've experienced the death of the old man. But, you know, I I don't want to just call terror the old man and we're just waiting for the old man to die. But I, I actually think that there's a possibility that there was a controlling spirit in this family. That it was making it almost impossible for people to fulfill their destiny. I think Abraham was having a real job to fulfill his destiny. Because he'd been told, come out, leave your father's house. And he just couldn't do it. You know, the father's house had come with him. Set up home in Haran. Now, just think about Lot. You know, <laughs> were they helpful or not in, in naming the place after his father? I mean, he was just constantly being reminded of all of these kinds of things, wasn't he? He wasn't giving much chance to rise up and fulfill his destiny. It seems as if the whole house was under some kind of domination. And it says, and Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot. And I just get this feeling that This young man was under some kind of control. And I can't read too much into it, but I just want to tell you that I've seen people who've come under the control of others. And I can tell you that when you're under that kind of domination, your destiny plays second place to the desires and the destiny of the dominator. And that can be so unhelpful. So unhelpful. Abraham, just stuck there in Haran. Unable to move on despite the word of God on his life. And it seems as if there was this domination. Now, I just want us to break free from unhelpful domination. Sometimes you can just sense that someone has taken over your vision. Someone has taken over your, your destiny, the desires of your heart. And I, I've had this happen to me so many times, you know. I, I, I still make the mistake of sharing what God has spoken with me with people who I assume to be neutral but discover afterwards have got their own agenda. Have you ever met people like that? You know, some of you might have been in work situations like this. You know, you have a, you, you get an idea and you want to share it and you share it and before you know where you are, someone says, oh, I understand exactly what you want to do. They take it over and you just don't get a chance to do what was on your heart and what they do is nothing like what you wanted to do. Even though they're telling you they're fulfilling your destiny for you. That, that is control. 
That is control. I've seen it happen so many times. I've gone and shared with someone and said, I think we should see God do this. This is on my heart. I think this is what God's speaking to me. And they say, oh, leave it to me, Hugh. You know? And suddenly you think, well, what happened? I mean, God spoke that to me. And now I'm, I'm under their domination. And, and the tragedy is they never do what was on your heart. And you're left wondering if they actually do what's on God's heart. I know when Rory and Wendy um, came to me when they were on staff here and said, we want to do something about Christian TV. I said to them, listen, you know, make sure that the vision that God has given you is not submitted to those who don't have the same vision. Because there have been so many people who talked about doing Christian television. And I just thought, if Rory and Wendy hitch up with the people who've talked about doing television and never achieved it, their vision is going to die along with everyone else's. So be so careful about how you hitch up your vision to someone else's vision, particularly if that person is of a controlling disposition. Leave it to me. I will sort it out for you. No, if God has spoken something into your heart then you've got to see that happen. You, you can't allow that drift towards dependence just to go on and on and on in your life. At some point, you've got to deal with the people who are controllers by nature. I had a situation where someone was trying to take control of my life. And, uh, and God showed me one day. I'd, I'd been prayed for and I was out on the platform uh, at a conference. And as I was laying there on the platform, I could see, as it were, a, a, a picture that immediately struck me like the uh, Jacob and Esau situation. You know how that when Esau was born, it was as if Jacob was hanging on to him to try and pull him back. Now, I know those of you who come from a Yoruba culture uh, still have this view that maybe twins, you can't guarantee the one who was born first is really the firstborn because it could have been the... You know, there was this tussle in the womb. But, um, see, amazing what I pick up culturally as I talk to people. <clears throat> but I, I was aware that, that someone was holding on to my life and saying, I'm not going to let you go first. I'm not going to let you go first. I am going to pull you back because I want to go first. And I just so, so clearly saw this. Now, I didn't understand it. I didn't know at the time exactly who God was speaking about or, or how it was happening in my life, but I sensed very much that the Lord was saying to me, you are going to go through life if you are not careful with someone hanging on to your heel. And every time you try and step forward, you are pulling them along behind you. But listen, and this is what I felt the Lord was saying to me, it won't be long before it's turned the other way around. That that person will be walking along and dragging you behind them. Because that's what these controlling things end up doing. You know, they, 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 they take you over. And you don't fulfill your destiny. You just become a, a pawn in fulfilling someone else's destiny. I just want to say to you, listen, everyone in this church is a minister as far as I'm concerned. Okay, that's why I don't put minister on the door of the office out there. It says senior minister, just simply, not because I'm trying to put myself above anyone, but if we're all ministers, then my responsibility is just to try and help coordinate and structure and so on. I know John's heart, as he um, takes over the day-to-day -day running of the church, is just to be a coordinating minister, coordinating everyone's ministry. 
But if you're in a church where the only ministry that's allowed to happen is the ministry on the platform, then something's wrong. You know, God did not bring you into his kingdom just to sit there and be pew fodder for the preacher. And that's not what it's about. I mean, the the message from the platform is only here to equip you to live for Jesus so that you can fulfill your ministry. God wants you to play a part. You know, and, and church is not just about, oh, I'll be a steward or I'll be a this or I'll be a that. Right? It's not about servicing the ministry's um, <laughs> aspirations to, to, to reach heights. It, it should be about equipping everybody to minister. So we need to do that. Just ask yourself. I really urge you to do this. You know, I, I've already said there is a right kind of dependence. It's an interdependence. But if the dependence that you're experiencing in your life is the result of someone else's domination and you are not able to fulfill your destiny because someone is dominating you in that kind of way, you've got to deal with those kind of controlling spirits. Or, if the controlling spirit is actually, and this sometimes happens, and inferiority complex in your own life. Okay, so in other words, it's not actually that the person is dominating you, it's that you are falsely subservient. That you are thinking that they are dominating you. So all the time you're going to say, oh yes, yeah, anything you want, you know, anything, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll clean your shoes twice, you know, they shine so much you've never ever seen. You know, if you're in that spirit of subservience that has just got you into some kind of mendicant situation that you're virtually someone's slave, then that's not right. That's not right. I mean, serve gladly from an open heart, but don't subserve. Once you become subservient, in a sense you've demeaned the calling that God has put on your life because who you are matters. And being who you are is important. And who you are has got to come out at some point. And I just feel that, you know, this family may well, in the Bible here, have had a little bit of a problem because Dad wanted to hold everybody's vision and hold everything to himself. Again, he had his needs. I'm not pointing the finger at him and saying, oh, he didn't have his reasons. He'd lost one son. He was probably feeling insecure. Don't want to lose any more. But at the same time, there was this sort of control. And God wants to say to you, you don't need to come under that control. The, the, the demand on every minister of the gospel is that that minister of the gospel is here to help your joy, not to lord it over your faith. And if it's not helping your joy, then ask some questions. You know, if all this ministry does is make me miserable, what's going on here? Have I got a subservient spirit? Am I missing something? Or is there, is there some kind of controlling thing going on? Do I need to rethink it? Maybe I brought something from somewhere else and assumed that it's happening here and it isn't happening here. Well, ask these kind of questions. Because I know that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he doesn't want us to be entangled again by any yoke of bondage. So we're looking in a drift towards dependence. There's a dependence that can come at a time of deprivation. And that is necessary. Interdependence that can bring us through the distress. But be careful, because you can end up with an over-dependence or an isolationism that's not right. There is a dependence that comes through someone else's domination or possibly through an assumption of someone else's domination that puts you in a position of subservience. Be so careful with that. Because those kind of controlling things can stop you fulfilling your destiny. And there needs to be a a rising up. Now, praise God, there came an opportunity for Abraham to rise up. (laughs) 
And he took Lot with him, you know, so Lot was still with him. But I don't think that necessarily was disobedience on Abraham's part. You know, some people said, well, you know, he had a real problem because it says, get out from your country, from your family, and he took Lot with him. Well, hold on a minute, you know, sometimes it is necessary to look at someone and think, this could be your opportunity for developing your life. I don't think the problem was taking Lot. I think the actual problem was in Lot, that he didn't take the opportunity. This was an opportunity for a fresh start. You know, I could leave you in Haran, Lot, or you can come with me and make a fresh start. I think he had a chance for a fresh start. Did he take the opportunity for a fresh start? Well, initially, no. Let me move to this third point, dependence through demotivation. We've looked at those verses in... uh, Chapter 11, but there are some verses that are further on from that which I've already read. Verse 10 of Genesis 12. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And just so that we're clear about this, when you read verse 1 of chapter 13, then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. So, We're quite clear now that when there was a famine in the land and Abraham moved to Egypt, guess who moved with him? Lot. Alright? So, Lot by this point really sees his destiny tied up with Abraham. Okay? I've come with you, not to establish my independence, but to hang on to your coattails. Wherever you go, I will go. If there's famine and you go down to Egypt, I will come along behind you and I will go down to Egypt. When you come out of Egypt... I will come along with you out of Egypt. Now, I just want you to notice, because some people think that there's someone else in the Bible who also was a very passive person. And I'm thinking of Isaac. You know, they say, Isaac must have been a really passive person, because because when Abraham lifted the, the knife, there's Isaac just lying there on the altar saying, okay, if that's what you want to do, you know. And we get this impression that Isaac was a very passive person. You know, who had no real destiny apart from that which was there in Abraham. But I know I've touched on this before. As far as I'm concerned, God was prepared to be known as the God of Isaac. So I think there was more to Isaac than that. I don't think he was just the inconvenience that happened to be there in between Abraham and Israel. Hmm? I know they were called the children of Israel and they like to regard themselves as we are Abraham's children. You think they've left out Isaac. Hmm? But Isaac was really important and God was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he owned Isaac and he owned so much about Isaac. And although Isaac to some eyes might look passive, I can tell you that he knew how to rise up in a way that really showed that he wasn't dependent through demotivation. So just get the comparison. We've seen there was a famine in the land. Abraham goes to Egypt Lot goes with him, Abraham comes out of Egypt, Lot comes out of Egypt with him. By contrast, look at chapter 26 of Genesis. Now just remember, Isaac is Lot's cousin. Alright? They're the children of brothers. And I just want you to see how different they are. It says in verse 
1 of chapter 26 of Genesis, there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, to your descendants, I give all these lands. Now, can you see what's happening? He's saying, I can find a different destiny here. Hmm? Abraham, in the past, gone down to Egypt. Another famine in the land? Well, if you're passive, you just think, oh, just go in the same direction. But Isaac says, no, here's a chance to seek God. And God says to him, no, you don't go down to Egypt. You don't just have to live in Abraham's shadow. You might redig the wells that Abraham's dug, but you don't live your whole life in someone else's shoes. You've got your own destiny. God wants to be the God of Isaac as well as the God of Abraham. And so there's this need to rise up. Now, famine is demotivating. Hmm? You all realise that, don't you? It is hard to grow anything in a time of famine. You know, when the famine's there, you think, oh, oh this is just too much. It's too much. There's too much pressure. I just feel too demotivated. I'm just going to hang on to someone else's coattails and let them determine my destiny. But in a time of famine, it's a good opportunity to check. Am I someone who is dependent through demotivation? Or is there something that can rise up in my heart and say, I'm going to prove God for myself in this situation? I believe in this situation, Isaac proved God for himself. Because when you turn over the page, you discover that it says in verse 12, of chapter 26 in Genesis. Then Isaac sowed in that land. Okay, in which land? The land where there was famine. He sowed in that land. He didn't go down to Egypt. He sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. Now I know the Lord blessed Abraham and Lot in Egypt. They came out with herds of cattle and everything else. I know that. But can you see here, there's someone who is saying, I don't just have to hang on to someone else's coattails when the going gets tough. Here's an opportunity for me to seek God for myself and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And the Lord might say to you, don't go down to Egypt. You can prove me right where you are. And if God's saying that to you, then prove him right where you are. Rise up. Let's see what God is making of you. See all the privilege that has gone before. The time of dependence, you know, where Terah takes you in and looks after you after your father dies and you work all of these things through. See the fact that, you know, you're free from the domination of the past. You're setting out into a new situation. But then... Please, 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 don't let demotivation bring back a kind of dependence that will rob you of your destiny. This is a simple message, really. I just see so much in Lot. Uh, And it's not just in this passage. As we go through, we can see that he just needed at times to to rise up and say, I want to see things happen in my life. But he was battling all along against this drift towards dependence. I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to help me. I need someone to do it for me. Well, at times in our lives we do. And praise God for the people that are around us to make it happen. 
But don't go through the whole of your life just living in someone else's shoes and someone else's shadow. God has got something for you. We had someone come to this church some years back who had faithfully looked after his mother until she died. And then when his mum died, he said, this is my chance to come into a church where I can discover myself. And until the Lord took him home, uh, Steve, who was in this church, had an absolute ball, really. (laughs) He'd come to Kingdom First and he said, can I lead the worship? Can I lead the prayer time? Can I preach the message? He just thought, I've never had opportunity to do any of these things. All I've done right up until my 50s is to look after my mum. But now I've got a chance. God's saying to us, hey, come on, you've got a chance. You've got a chance. Chance to fulfill your destiny in the Lord. And I believe that God wants us to, to rise up and do that. So I'm going to pray that God gives us wisdom. Every one of us needs wisdom. There are times when there's been deprivation in our lives. How do we handle it? It's the way that we handle it that will determine our destiny. Sometimes we're facing people who dominate us. How do we handle that? Well, there's a wisdom that can set us free from the domination. You can begin to pray. If you feel someone's dragging on your heel, begin to pray, Lord, Lord, I need to fulfill my destiny. I don't want to end up having someone dragging at my heel and then the next moment I'm being dragged at theirs. Lord, let me be free from these kind of things. And if you're someone who's just got so demotivated that you think there's no point, it's just famine. I'll just hang on to someone else's coattails and, you know, that's it. Until the Lord comes back, I'll just make do. It's not what I expected in my life, but to be honest, the famine's come and, well, we just go along with it now. Don't do that. God's got something for you. Father, I pray for all those that have heard this message. Lord, that there might be a rising up in every heart. Lord, we know there is a place for interdependence. But Lord, we want to avoid that over-dependence and that co-dependence. We want to avoid coming under wrongful control. Lord, we want to fulfill our destiny. Lord, I just pray for everyone who's heard this message today, that, Lord, they might discover who they are in Christ. Lord, they might not live under someone else's labelling or allow the circumstances of the past to dictate and determine who they are. Lord, I just pray, Father, that in your love and in your grace and in your mercy, you'll reach down into each one of our lives and heal us from the things that have hurt us and, and cause pain in us. Lord, we do understand Lord, there's compassion in our hearts. We understand how at times people end up bonded unhelpfully. But Lord, we know too that there's a liberty that can come in your heart. And I pray, Father, for anyone who's caught in a controlling relationship that's stopping them fulfill their destiny. Lord, that you will show them the way out, Lord, so that they might live free and fulfill everything that's on your heart for them. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about Hugh Osgood's ministry, visit www.hughosgood.com. There you'll find ministry updates, new and free Bible teaching resources and videos, as well as information on upcoming events and broadcasts on TV and radio. We trust you have been encouraged by this message.